Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, as we continue our worship in the preaching of God's Word, I would like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Also, if you are here this morning and you don't know how to use a Bible, I want you to know that is okay. You can just listen along. I will read everything and the reference verses will be on the screen. Um, So I don't think you'll have any problem at all just following along by watching up here. Well, we are in the New Testament book of Ephesians and I am preaching through it verse by verse. We're now obviously in chapter 4. And chapter 4 begins the transition to the second half of the book. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, as I've shared with you, we have what is known as doctrine. The word doctrine is not a word to be afraid of. It simply means teaching, essential teaching of any particular letter or uh, body of work like this. And the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul told us, about our identity, our great and glorious glorious identity in Christ, and how we are blessed in Christ, and how we, Jews and Gentiles together, have become a part of Christ's church, his church, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone And then we come to chapter 4, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 form the second part of the book, and they, Paul tells us now, live out who you are. Now that you know who you are, now that you understand your blessings, now that you know that you're part of the church, here is how you are to live out the Christian life. And the key verse in this second half of the book of of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that calling was explained in the first three chapters. And now Paul says... If you are to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called, chapter 4, verse 3, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity among the people of God is such a high priority because we live for the glory of God and we live for the good of others and we live, we exist, that we might be a unified voice, a unified people for God. Why is unity so important Because there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And as the unified body of Christ, brothers and sisters together, we have all, as we learned in verses 8 through 12, we have all been given spiritual gifts All of us have been gifted who know Christ as our Savior. Those gifts were purchased for us by the substitutionary death, the victorious resurrection, and the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us those 
gifts individually, and he has also given gifts to the church as a whole in gifted teachers who are able to help all the saints be equipped for ministry and to building up the body of Christ. He has given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and we learned two weeks ago, as I shared with you, we believe that the technical offices of apostles and prophets were temporary, transitional. They were there for the laying of the foundation of the church until the completion of the New Testament. And then those two technical offices were no longer necessary. And so today we have evangelists and pastors and teachers who are just the primary example, not the only example, of gifted teachers within the church. Every church in ours is certainly representative of this. We have many gifted teachers, men and women, in our body who help to equip us for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Well, that brings us to verses 13 through 16, in which Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, our first point this morning is God's goal. God's goal for His church, His church, is that we strive to be unified in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what it says in the first part of verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The ultimate spiritual target. God's goal for the church begins with the unity of the faith. Excuse me. And I want you to notice if you notice on the screen and if you have are looking in the bulletin at the notes toward the back of the bulletin, I have the faith, both words capitalized. It's not an error. That's not a misprint. I purposely did that. Because what Paul is talking about here when he says until we all attain to the unity of the faith, faith here does not It does not refer to an act of belief or an act of obedience, but to the body of Christian truth, to Christian doctrine. It is the faith. It is what Jude says. I appeal to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. It is the truth. It is the essential truth truths of the Christian faith. It is what makes us Christian. It is how we know of salvation in Christ. It is how we know how to live out our lives in Christ. 
the faith. We are to be unified in what we believe, and that must begin with all of us being unified in believing that the Bible is the Word of God. Believing that the whole Bible, from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation, is the inerrant and inspired and completely trustworthy and reliable Word of God, our sole authority for everything we do as a church and as Christians. It tells us how to look at the world. How to deal with each other. How to look at ourselves. How to look within ourselves. We must be unified in the faith. We must be. And as we think of those essential fundamentals of the faith. That we have protected and guarded for centuries. We must believe. We must be unified in our belief. That Jesus was born of a virgin. We must be unified in our belief that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We must be unified in our belief that Jesus literally bodily rose from the dead. We must be unified in our belief that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We must be unified in our belief in the second coming of Jesus that he is literally going to come again and set up his kingdom That will lead us eventually into the new heaven and the new earth. Folks, these are things we must all believe or we are not Christian. You are not Christian. We must be unified in the faith. There can never be unity in the church. Apart from agreement on the essential teachings of the faith. Oh, we are all going to have our preferences and opinions in the body of Christ. But when it comes to the word of God and the essential teachings of the word of God, every single one of us must be unified in that. Now, the second essential part of God's goal for the church is striving for the knowledge of Christ. Now, Paul is speaking here not of simply an intellectual acknowledgement. Oh, yes, I believe Jesus is God. But rather, Paul is speaking of a deep knowledge of Christ. He is speaking of a white, hot, fervent passion to know Christ, to love Christ, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to walk with him and love him and adore him and worship him every minute of every day. This is the goal of the church. And it can only come through prayer and through faithful study and obedience of God's word. It is Paul in Philippians 3 who says, I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know Christ. It is a lifelong process. That becomes the joy. And delight. Of our lives. And I want you to think with me this morning. How wise God is. He is so. Wise. These two pillars. Are his goal. For us. And they cannot be. And must not be separated. We must be unified in the faith. And we must passionately.
fervently pursue the knowledge of our Savior. You see, if we don't have truth, we don't know Jesus. We just make him up. He's anything we want him to be. We've got to know the truth if we're going to know Jesus. But we can't just have truth. We can't have a cold, lifeless, mean-spirited truth. There's got to be emotion, passion, love, compassion that is found only in and through our Savior. Everything else that I'm going to say this morning is based on those two pillars. We've got to be unified in the faith and passionate about our knowledge of the Son of God because God wants every single person here who knows Christ to be mature, to be spiritually mature. God wants every one of his children to be spiritually mature, to know the fullness of the resurrected Christ who lives within them. Verse 13, second part, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what he wants from you. It's what he wants from me, that we would be mature men and women. Manhood here means men and women together. He wants us to grow into the fullness of Christ. He wants us to know Jesus in all of his fullness. His goal, and I know it has been said many times over many years, but God wants us to be just like Jesus. As many times as we learn that truth, we need to learn it over and over again. He wants us to be like Jesus. But I say to you this morning, Jesus is not just the model of who we should be. He is our power and he is our enablement to live the Christian life. We can't do it without him. We were talking about this in our men's Bible Institute class on Wednesday night. We're going through the curriculum 33, the series based on the 33 years of Jesus' life on earth. We are learning he is our hero. You want to know what a true man is? Look at Jesus. You know what a true man looks looks like and lives like? Then look at Jesus. However, we can't just say, okay, I'm looking at him. I'm going to do everything I can to be like him. That's not enough. We must say, oh, Jesus, I not only want to be like you. Empower me. Enable me through your resurrected life in me to be that kind of man. I need your power. I can't do it on my own. In the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. And that's what we talked about Wednesday night. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But oh, by his enablement and by his power, God wants us to be just like his son. We, folks, we are to radiate the beauty of Jesus. We are to radiate and reflect the beauty of our master in the church and before a watching world. When they see you, may they see Jesus.
When the world sees you, may they see Jesus. Because God wants all of his children, all of you, I don't care how much money you make or what your educational background is, he wants every one of his children to be spiritually mature. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I referred to this just a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That is it. Colossians 1 is saying the same thing as Ephesians 4. We proclaim Jesus. We warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom. Why? Why? That we may present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. I think of Galatians 4.19. It's not going to be on the screen, but Paul says to the believers in the churches in the region of Galatia, he says to them, what an interesting analogy. He said, I am in the agony of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Wow. I'm in the agony of childbirth. Like a woman in the midst of bearing a child, giving birth. I'm in the agony of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, there is a good-hearted healthy debate in various Bible commentaries about verse 13. The question is, when Paul says he wants us to attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to know Christ in all of his fullness, is he talking about something we can do right now? Or is he talking about something that will be ours someday in glory when we go to be with Jesus? Is it a here and now or is it a here and after? And personally, I think it's both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's something that I have shared with you in sermons in the past. Here is perfection. We know biblically we will not attain to a perfection until we go home to be with the Lord and we are glorified in Him. However, however, we don't just sit around and say, well, someday I'll be like I should be. I'll just wait till that time. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is this. I may be here and perfection may be here. But it is my goal, it is my desire, it is my passion. I'm going to get as close to this as I possibly can before I die. I'm going to grow and grow and strive and strive to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can, to get as close to the goal as I can before I go home to glory. Paul himself says this best in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 14, a passage that many of you know well. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh, let that be the theme. Let that be the mantra of all of our Christian lives. I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind. Straining. I love that word. Straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here's the goal folks. The goal is that we are to be unified in the faith. And we are to be unified. In our common desire and passion and zeal to know and love and fellowship with the Son of God. So that we might all grow up into spiritual maturity. Knowing as much of the fullness of Christ as we possibly can. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Spiritual maturity protects and builds. And I want you to think about this carefully with me this morning. When we are spiritually mature as a church, as the body of Christ, it protects us and causes us to build one another up in the faith. Let's take this one at a time. When we are striving for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, it protects us from unbiblical false teaching. Verse 14. So that, based on verse 13, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I continue to be saddened And perplexed by how often I will hear people who profess Christ as Savior, who have bought into or believe something that is completely unbiblical. They read a book, they follow some teacher, and they say, Oh, Did you read this? Did you hear this? And I'm thinking, it has nothing to do with the Bible. It is not found in the Bible. And how easily some of us are prone to follow after things that are completely unbiblical. And we need to know that false teaching in all of its various forms is the constant enemy of the church constant enemy of the church. Paul says we must no longer, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You need to know, I need to know that there always has been and always will be Christian, quote, Christian pastors in so-called Christian churches who doubt the Bible, who no longer believe that the Bible is the word of God. 
There will always be pastors who have abandoned all belief in the virgin birth, who no longer believe in the deity of Christ. They're preaching this morning in churches, in liberal churches, not only across the United States, but throughout the world. There are pastors who will tell you they don't believe in the second coming of Christ or in the literal bodily resurrection of Christ. They say things like, well, we think Christ just rose mystically or spiritually, not actually. He's really not coming again. Our mission is only here. And then there are people at the other end. There will always be Pharisees and Sadducees among us. Always. Who add to the word of God. Who teach traditions of men. Extra biblical things that have nothing to do with the Bible. We must know that. And we must guard ourselves against it. We must. Heresy, which simply means false teaching, is the constant, constant enemy of the church. So how do we protect ourselves? By being unified in the faith. And by passionately, zealously pursuing a knowledge of the Son of God. Folks, listen very carefully with me this morning. If we are not anchored in God's word, And if we are not hungering and thirsting for Christ, we are easy prey for Satan. This must be a constant thing among us. If we are not anchored to the word of God, and if we are not hungering and thirsting for Jesus himself, we are easy prey for Satan. And he is always, he is always a roaring lion, roaming around, looking, For someone to devour. But not only does God's goal for the church protect us. It also causes us to build one another up in the faith. When we are striving for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It enables the church to speak the truth in love to one another and to build the whole church up in love. In verses 15 and 16 It says, rather, I love that, rather than what's happening in verse 14, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't know about you, but I love those last two words. We, not just, we don't just build ourselves up. We build ourselves up in love. In love. Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. Probably many of you have used that term in your Christian life many times. It's a wonderful term. We are to speak the truth in love to one another. But when you use those words, do you know the context? Do you know the context here in Ephesians chapter 4? We are to speak the truth in love. Two important parts. It's actually a restatement of verse 13. You can't speak the truth if you don't know the truth. 
That's why, that's why we must be unified in the faith. See, speaking the truth here doesn't simply mean I'm saying something that's true. Like the ceiling's brown or the wall is white. It means speaking the truth of God's word. That's what it means in its context. Speaking the truth of God's word in love. That's the zeal and passion for the Son of God, for the knowledge of the Son of God. That we have his love in us and his love flowing through us. But folks, one of the most important ways that all of us work together to build up the body of Christ is to speak the truth in love to one another in every context, whether from the pulpit, in the Sunday school class, in the home Bible study, on one, in one-on-one discipleship, or wherever there may be an opportunity. We disciple, we disciple, we disciple. Even as I shared with you about our 10-year plan that the elders presented, we want every aspect of the church to be seen as potential discipleship. And we do that by speaking the truth in love to one another. And here's why. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the sovereign head. He is the true head of the church, the great shepherd of the sheep. But he is also what is known in theology as the organic head. And that means we get all of our life from him. All of our power, all of our enablement we get from him. Just like with us, someone cuts off my head or your head, what happens? You die. You die. Cut off the head of the church and the church dies. We can't exist and live without the head of the church, the organic head of the church, which is Jesus Christ himself. So the goal for all of us is to help every other believer that we know to grow in every way to be like Christ. And let me quickly say this, and many of you know this, speaking the truth in love is not always easy. Sometimes it can be very difficult. But know this, speaking the truth of love in love is always God's way, and it is always the right way. Sometimes it's somewhat easy. We encourage, we comfort, we help. But sometimes with each other, we must rebuke and correct and say hard things about someone's marriage, about someone's demeanor, about sin that they are living in and unrepentant of. But we must always, always speak the truth in love because it is God's way and it is always the right way. Well, verse 16 is an important reminder and I think it's a tremendous conclusion to not only verses 13 through 16, but through to all 16 verses in the first part of this first part of chapter 4. Verse 16 is an important reminder that every Christian Every Christian, there's no exception, should strive to be equipped for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ. It says, from whom the whole body, you notice that? The whole body, joined and held together by every joint, every joint with which it is equipped, remember verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body, every joint equipped, each part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, there's no such thing as a second-class Christian. Every single one of you, I don't care who you are, if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are important. You are vitally, critically important to the body of Christ. God wants you, yes, you, to speak the truth in love so that we can all grow up in Christ and know him in all his fullness. God wants pastors and teachers and evangelists and all gifted teachers to have as our goal that we're equipping all of us to do the work of ministry, equipping all of us to build up the body of Christ. Oh, we can say and proclaim from the mountaintops, we're in this together. And we are all important to this church and to the overall universal body of Christ. So let us remember as this church what God's goal is for us until we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let us First Baptist Church, let us be unified in the faith. Let us be unified in our common desire, all of us, to zealously, passionately pursue our love for Jesus every minute of every day so that we might all be spiritually mature so that we might all be equipped for ministry, so that we all might build one another up in love, in the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be a spiritually mature church. Lord, help us to be unified, in the faith. Help us to be anchored, anchored always and forever to your word and help us, every single one of us, to have an emotional, passionate zeal to know Jesus and to walk with him and fellowship with him every day. And use this, Lord. Use this for our protection and use it to help us to build one another up in love. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.